Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome to the Retro Hour podcast, episode number 62, your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. And me, Ravi Abbott. And me, Joe Fox. Joe is back. I'm back again. First show of the year. It's yeah. been a while. Taking a break from wedding planning. Yeah, taking a big break from wedding planning. Uh, so, yeah, no, thanks for having me on again. You got married, what, two weeks? Uh, two weeks tomorrow. So, wow. So, two weeks today when the podcast comes out. So, Well, I'm getting married at the, the end of this year as well. And everyone's been saying to me, you know, you've got to say goodbye to your video game collection now. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> we've, we've already said, like, I've got, we've got a three-bedroom house and, you know, the two main rooms are as big as each other. And, uh... I've got my whole room to games and then we've got the little tiny box room and we've agreed that will be the child's bedroom when that day comes. Like my game room, then the child's bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> Priorities. Exactly, you know. <laughs> maybe a... maybe things will change when we, you know, when I see it and I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> Get a strong lock on that door, Jim. Yeah, no, it won't fit in the little room. <laughs> well, thank you for checking out this week's show, guys. Of course, the Retro Hour comes out every single Friday. Uh, we run through the big retro and technology stories of the week and then in the second half of the show is when we get on, someone who's always got an interesting story to tell. Now, this could be like, you know, a veteran of the video games industry, someone that was there in the old days at a legendary company, or someone that is keeping the world of retro going, like the guest that we've got this week. Yeah, we've got Andy Palmer from Arcade Club, and he's actually got a working arcade that's making money, that's available in Manchester with 200 machines. Well, the biggest in Europe this could be. Yeah, and it's alive. Can you believe it? There's an arcade in 2017. Yeah, and we're going to find out. Kind of, we're going to get quite nerdy about the history of arcades and, you know, a lot of memories from going to the seaside in the 80s and 90s and all those games we used to play. And also, quite fascinating to find out how he kind of recaptures that, you know, magic of the classic arcades in 2017. Totally, and I must say you're sounding a bit ill there, Dan. <laughs> so, yeah, Andy's going to be on around 20 minutes. Before that, you do have to put up with me croaking my way through uh, this week's show. Yeah, we've thought, been hit by the lurgy, haven't we? I've had laryngitis, like, proper come down with it. Four days I've been at home. I've been com- I haven't been speaking for four days. Samantha's loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to point out, you know, I'm young and healthy. You know, these two... <laughs> You know, got the lurgy, and I, I'm fine. You know, I'm all good. Yeah, till tomorrow when you get home, you're like, those two. Yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> I, I, I was actually thinking that when I got in the car earlier on. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> so uh, we've got to say a huge thank you as well, if my voice will hold out for this bit of the show, to the people who keep the Retro Hour podcast coming every single week, the guys who showed the support by heading to our website, theretrohour.com, and making a little donation. And that automatically qualifies you to be in the Retro Hour Hall of Fame. Yes, and um, we have... Gareth McKee, Robinson Technologies, Robert Hales, Joseph Mosey, and Jonathan Kay, who all made generous donations to the Retro Hour podcast this week. Thank you so much for your support, guys. If you'd like to do the same, all you've got to do, nip onto our website, if you want to put a couple of quid in the tip jar, there's a little PayPal link that you'll find on the front page of theretrohour.com. Now before, um, actually this has timed quite well, Joe, because uh, you know we're going to be getting suits for your wedding. Yeah. And then after that, we need to uh, you know, wear the same suits again, probably. <laughs> for the, uh... Give them a clean first. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. For the British Podcast Awards. Yeah, this is a new podcast awards, and it's kind of sponsored by The Guardian as well. And, you know, there's loads of big, big, prestigious podcasts going here. And uh, 
I think it's going to be an interesting event because it's kind of like 15 quid a ticket. Mm -hmm. So everybody's going to be there and uh, it's going to be good fun. And you guys can help by uh, voting for the Listener's Choice Award. Now, we're actually in for two categories. We're up for, um, well, hopefully, you know, we've put a submission in. We haven't had the time recording this. We've gone in for our best new podcast. Uh, being that we did just make that, you know, starting in January last year. Yeah. Um, and also there is a category called the Listener's Choice Award as well, which um, is a public vote. So if you'd like to support the show, um, you know, this is one way that you can do it. We'd really appreciate this. We've never won an award before. You know, if we, if we win, great. If we don't, we're going along and have a good night anyway. Uh, but if you would like to help us out, if you love the show, this will take you five seconds to vote. All you've got to do is put our podcast name in and uh, we'll put the link up at theretrohour.com forward slash vote. That'll take you straight to the voting page. Yeah, it's going to be fun, and uh, good luck to all the podcasts involved. Well, this is, because it is a new one, like you said, but really, um, they're trying to make this kind of like the like the BAFTAs of podcasting, or like the Sony Awards are to radio, it's pretty... Well, you know, how did you find out about it? It was in like a radio awards magazine or something, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, the Gu- it was on the Media Guardian have covered it, and it was on um, this website all about the radio industry, Radio Today, they've been covering it quite quite a lot as well, so it is, you know, there are going to be, by the, the lineup here, there's quite a lot of industry professionals are going to be there, and people like off radio and TV as well, so... Should be good. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you want to vote for us on that, we do appreciate it. And uh, we'll pop that link on our website, theretrohour.com. And while you're there as well, we've got a little competition that you might want to enter. Oh, yeah, you can win an RC2014, which is like a Z80 homebrew kit that you can kind of build your own machine with your son and have a nice little hardware adventure. (laughs) Have you ever built a computer before, Joe? Uh, No, I haven't. Um, I was really glad that he actually just explained what that was because I was like, yes, yes, interesting. I have no (laughs) idea what that kind of thing. So, no, unfortunately... um, Never built my own computer. <laughs> well, this, um, this little kit here, I mean, we, we, we talked about this last week when we set the competition up. A guy called Spencer, who's uh, from Nottingham, he actually sells these kits as his full-time job now. And really, it's kind of going back to, you know, the earliest days of home computers yeah. before they were, you know, assembled. Yeah. You get all the components, you have to build them yourself. So it's kind of, you know, following in the footsteps of stuff like the Apple One and the um, ZX80, that kind of thing. And he supplies everything with it, and you, you get all the components. Like you said, it'd be a good, like, you know, father and son, father, yeah. father-daughter project. And, and this... Uh, was even in the Game Boy, Joe. The, um, oh, really? Z80. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, all right. So, you know, there may be some compatibility He's looking at me now just like, yeah, yeah, but you didn't know that, dickhead. <laughs> I'm just like, no, I didn't. <laughs> I try to get you excited. <laughs> well, you did mention it. It runs a Z80 processor, which is the question that we've got for you to answer if you'd like to win one of these RC2014 build-it-yourself computer kits. Now, all you've got to do is head to our website, theretrohour.com. You'll find the link on the front page there. And answer this question. What does the Z stand for in Z80? A, Zelda. B, Zipper. C, Zilog. So it's one of those three. All you've got to do is head to our website, theretrohour.com. Um, we did have to Google that beforehand, just saying. Uh, <laughs> I didn't really. Of course I didn't. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Answer that question, and then we're going to close this. Um, a week today, actually, is going to close on the 24th of March at 23.59. And uh, after that, we'll pick out one at random. If it's you, you'll win one of these RC2014 build-it-yourself kits. Right then, before we get into the arcade chat with Andy Palmer from Arcade Club, um, a few headlines that have been catching our interest this week. Uh, first of all, this is kind of an update on um, something we mentioned last year that you found out. This is a Pong coffee table Kickstarter. Yeah, I thought, you know, arcade special this show. Um, and let's get this arcade unit out. And it's it's very weird. It's like an old Pong table. You know, they used to be sit down and yeah. you'd kind of play on yeah. that. But this is like an air hockey table. It's got magnets on it. And right. you can actually control the panels. Oh, um, right. So it's not actually digital. No, it's not digital. It's uh, all based on magnets. 
oh, wow, that's pretty sick, actually. I just kind of looked at it and just wrote it off as like, oh, yeah, it's just like a sit-down pong table. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, like, so it's kind of 3D, and uh, you can play the pong game, but also it's got all these strange features, like, obviously, it's a table. <laughs> Mind blown! <Yeah. laughs> it can hold yeah. But it can stream music as well through Bluetooth. You can, It's got USB charging points and... A clock, so you can display the time instead of the score. <laughs> How long have I been playing Pong for? Also, yeah. you can put your legs under it. Yeah, you know? <laughs> there you go. That's listed on the features. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also officially Atari, you know, it's got all the logo and yeah. branding on there That's and good. Pong as well, which makes it look really nice. You know, it's only been going 27 days and it's, as we're recording this, you know, mm-hmm. 71,000. Of uh, 27 days to go, actually. Yeah, so we've got nearly a month left on it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they do need a bit, you know, they're probably about a quarter of the way there already. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, you know, if you want to bat this, I think it's a really cool bit of kit. And if you're looking down the Kickstarter pledge amounts as well, I mean, to get one of these, it is an expensive product. So I think you're talking um, $900 to actually get the coffee table. Mm-hmm. Um, but for what it is, that's not bad, actually. And you get all the other things like, you know, seating cubes and all that kind of stuff. With yeah, it as well. I mean, obviously, I know plenty of people kind of spend that kind of money on coffee table just kind of standard oak coffee tables and stuff so obviously if you're in the market for something very different and uh something retro it's not massively expensive and i think for like bars and stuff like that you know oh yeah like a trendy hipster bar absolutely it kind of came to my mind straight away is you know being drunk in a bar sitting over with your mates playing it so that's my first thought of it the kind of places you go ravi yeah Yeah. (laughs) I, i i just i just wonder how fast is it you know. Yeah, because it's mechanical. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, how fast does it travel across? It, it could be a bit brutal. <laughs> you <never> know. <laughs> There's, like, brutal mode. <laughs> I yeah. hope they're all stuck down, because you mentioned air hockey. When I've had a few drinks and I play air hockey, it always ends up across the room and yeah, pipe. Da- yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> or, you, or you lose the middle bit or something. That, yeah, just that be, could be... I hope all the components <laughs> stay there. But they've got this nice kind of disc as well, a circular switch on it. So when you're actually playing, it's with a paddle. Yeah, actual yeah. paddles left and right, isn't it? Yeah. It does look very cool. Very well made by the looks of it as well. So if you want to follow that, we'll put that in our show notes at theretrohour.com. Now, obviously, Nintendo's been all over. I mentioned I got my hands on a Nintendo Switch last week, um, enjoying Zelda. No, not a massive Zelda fan. Really the first one I probably sat down and got really into and spent a long time yeah. with. Um, but I was looking through some Nintendo stuff on their Reddit the other day, and I'd never seen this before. Now, we're going back to the early 90s when the SNES launched in Britain. And there was a promo featuring Craig Charles <laughs> from Red Dwarf. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I had to kind of like double take that when I saw it in the notes. And I was just like, oh gosh, do, wait, Craig Charles? <laughs> do, do you want to hear a bit of it? Oh, yeah. Okay, so yeah. the beginning. Yeah. Right then, thrill seekers, here we go. We've got some amazing insider information for you game wizards. <laughs> Not off. We've got I can do that with my throat. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> but it is. It's pure 90s cheese. But it shows, it shows you stuff in here like uh, Super Mario All-Stars and the story of Mario from like Donkey yeah. Kong and everything. It's like half an hour long. That's pretty cool. Um, I, I was fully anticipating with the music there just to be like, the year is 1992. <laughs> <laughs> it does look quite epic when it opens. you got these yeah. you know, pretty dodgy like looking early 90s graphics. But even stuff like, you know, the show Mario Paint and demoing that and everything. So And he's, he's kind of on a space station. It looks very red dwarfy, you know. Yeah. Could be on Starbucks or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this got me thinking, so, you know, like you do on YouTube and you end up just like clicking everything in the sidebar and before you know it, it's like three in the morning. Yeah. Do you remember... Rick Mail's adverts that he did for Nintendo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember them. I've seen them as well. Yeah. We've got to play one of these. Hi, Rick Mail here. I don't know if you're like me, immensely rich, talented, handsome. Isn't it a bore? Well, I found the answer. 
Zelda Link's Awakening from Nintendo. You play a medieval elf named Link. You travel through many worlds, meeting endless characters on your eternal adventures. So hey, next time you're Rick Mail, why not try? Zelda Link's Awakening. I think you'll like it. <laughs> what? <laughs> what a partnership. <laughs> it's like, because, you know, everyone talks about Sega's advertising, like the yeah. Cyber Razor Cut and all that, but you don't hear much about that advert. And that was, you know, for Nintendo, you probably wouldn't see them doing anything quite that edgy. Yeah. Anymore. You remember Atari used to have Morecambe and Wise. It's, it's funny that because it's like, you don't really see now, like, Kanye West, like, played a PlayStation 4, you know, kind or, of thing. Or else. Like, or else, yeah, I'll go crazy on you. Like, you don't see anything like that anymore. Like The only one you, I saw was uh, No Man's Sky with Bill Bailey. I thought that was quite weird. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember where he had a crystal on his head? No, I didn't see that one. he was advertising No Man's Sky. That I did not it. see that one. I was, didn't see that either. It was probably on TV for about an hour, and then <laughs> yeah, everybody realised it. it was crap. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, you know, watching that, cause they were genius, and I think, you know, it proves what a different company Nintendo probably were back then. I mean, obviously, when the Super Nintendo came out. The one thing I keep hearing about the Switch when I see reviews of it online and everything at the moment, everyone's like, oh, you know, Nintendo don't compete on specifications. But they did until, like, the N64, really. Yeah, they mm. did, didn't they? Absolutely. Yeah, I always remember people would say, uh, you know, a lot of the Amiga sound developers went on to Nintendo as well later because they had more channels and you could actually get more out of the sound chip. So it always had that, like, little higher level than Sega on the sound chips. There was always that playground kind of mentality of like, which was better, all the way up to the, to you know, the GameCube, there was still that competition of like, oh yeah, the GameCube's got, you know, smoother graphics than the PlayStation, but the PlayStation's got its DVD player, but then GameCube's games are for little boys, you know, little kids kind of thing. So there was always that argument way up until that kind of generation. And Dan just saying that then was a real eye-opener for me then, because I was actually thinking the other day, like, I'm really worried that the Switch is just going to be like the Dreamcast, like, and that's yeah. kind of where things are going, this could be, you know, Nintendo's final home console. You said that last week, didn't you? Yeah, and yeah. it's kind of weird because it seems like a bit of an excuse from Nintendo fans. Yeah. Like, you know, I'll meet someone and they'll say, oh, no, but it's not meant to compete with that. It's, it's Yeah, you know. <laughs> and I, I, I will say I'm, you know, I'm a Nintendo fanboy, I was a Sega fanboy kind of thing, and I, I, I don't know, I, don't, I think it's come out too early and I really don't like the whole handheld thing of it. Like, I just feel like they're, like oh yeah we absolutely dominate the handheld market with the ds so let's kind of get the home console into that market as well if that makes sense but i also i also suppose there's this argument about speed which you know in the 90s everyone was going for a faster console yeah it's all the bits it? wasn't it yeah yeah but <laughs> yeah, now yeah. but now we've kind of reached that point where it's like the games are now more about the story and stuff so maybe that's what they're thinking yeah, or it might I be think, balancing i think they could be going with that absolutely because of obviously we've now We've kind of, in the last kind of two, three, four years, it's got to a point where graphics have really just got to a phenomenal point that it's like, what kind of weird, funny niches can the next company come out with? So obviously we've got VR and now Nintendo going for the whole, oh yeah, portable, you go down to the skate park, even though, you know, we're all 30. (laughs) (laughs) So, But then you you look at that advert though, and that just like, you know, it reminded me then that they were taking Sega on head on there, weren't they? And that, with with Sega's really edgy, like the pirate TV adverts and all that. So there was a time when Nintendo were one of the big high-spec players. Yeah, and, definitely. You know, they, they kind of lost that in the last couple of years. Only really since Wii, probably. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that because obviously the SNES was more powerful than anything else which was on the market. Mm. And then obviously it's debatable with the N64 with how powerful that was. It had its, you know, there was obviously aspects of that which were more powerful than the PlayStation. Well, it was still a graphics workstation, really, wasn't it? Well, exactly. Yeah. Um, GameCube, yeah, no. they had like Call of Duty on it and they had... Yeah. I remember that Medal of Honor was a 
big thing when it first came out on the GameCube. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I'd agree with Dan there. It was really only the Wii where they kind of, they went and thought, oh, yeah, we'll go down this motion control kind of path and everybody else kind of stuck to the whole hardcore gaming path. So, yeah, no, I I, I, I would disagree with the haters who are just like, oh, Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, the Switch adverts and stuff, they've got grown-ups playing in them, you know, and even on the box, yeah. it's like, you know, people in their 20s and 30s. So, yeah. maybe you know, maybe they should, uh, you know, obviously they can't get Rick Mail anymore for an advert, but oh, uh, rest, in, rest peace. in peace, Rick. That, when I watched that, I was like, oh, I'll really miss him. <laughs> I mean, so, if you want to sit down, there's actually a YouTube video with them all in, so I'll, oh, I'll, I'll put that in our show notes as well, definitely worth a look. I'll be checking that out. And speaking of things that are uh, moving on, passed on, shall we say, Windows Vista has got less than a month to live. Oh, I've got it at work, and it's on the main TV display. And I tell you, if you do, if you leave the screensaver on, it's embarrassing just seeing Windows Vista logo bouncing around on there. It's just like, come on, guys. I'm fairly certain we run Windows Vista at work as well, and it's just wow. like, I'm just like, really? It's ten years old. Like, well, I didn't even think it was still supported because NOXP got this. When was that? Like 2012, wasn't it? You yeah, know, they they cut that off. I assume Vista already was by now. Last time I bumped into Vista, it was probably about last summer. My auntie had like a problem with her computer. I team viewed into it. I, you know, ran the. Um, anti-malware yeah. bam thing and that had, it had about 490 infections or something on it <laughs> and that was Windows Vista but I remember then Microsoft Security Essentials and Google Chrome both said we no longer support this operating yeah. system so I assumed it was probably over and done with but um, yeah, apparently after uh, the 11th of April that is going to be the cut off date from Microsoft and uh, Vista will be no more well uh, they're no longer doing any releases are they so it's just Windows 10 that's it I've heard that so they're just going to stick with updating Windows 10 for yeah so there's going to be no Windows 11 or Windows Millennium Edition 2. Or, you know, <laughs> crazy We've got stuff. to a point, this is it, like no more technology. Yeah. Yeah. Just Windows 10 with no updates. No more developing. That's it. Forced updates. Nuclear yeah. war is upon us, so we may as well just leave it with this. <laughs> well, the reason I mentioned Vista, though, is as well because obviously, you know, we're a retro show. And I remember the first time because Vista had a very troubled uh, development path. You know, it was, um, was it Windows Longhorn it was originally going to be? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, because everyone used to get the Longhorn skins and try and look really cool <laughs> on the XP. <laughs> well, they started that, though, probably about 2001 too, didn't they? Just as soon as XP had come yeah, out. Yeah. Then I think they got to about 2005, scrapped the entire project so they couldn't make it work, yeah. started over again. Then Vista came out in like 2007. But I remember at the time the amount of hate it got and I think really, because I mean, I, I ran Vista for a few years and I got like, it got up to Service Pack 3. Mm. And really that was just Windows 7 then. By the time we got to that point, it was pretty stable. But Vista, it's never really got over its initial bad reputation. Well, I think Millennium Edition is a lot to blame for that. And Windows 2000 as well. 2000 was really good. Yeah. And that kind of, it was like the year editions were really good. And the ones with names were stupid. Like yeah. 98 was good. 95 was good, 2000, but ME, Vista, and all these yeah. weird... <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I definitely agree with that. Cause always the ones with the names, always the one with the hate. And then the ones that's always like, you always get the purists. It's like, oh, Windows 95. I hold it close to my heart, man. <laughs> like, so. Yeah, you know you're a nerd when you get passionate over Windows <laughs> yeah, 95. Yeah, definitely. But see, see, Vista, I think the main reason it got a lot of hate initially is, I think it was, you know, Dell and HP and all that, that sell laptops that were really built for XP. And Vista needed a higher spec machine. They were selling like Pentium 4s with like one gigabyte of memory. And people, oh, this is slow. But it probably did quite a lot for the hardware industry. You know, I remember mm. I went out and bought a new graphics card and it really did force people to upgrade, I think. I reckon a big thing as well with XP was the service packs. So like, you know, I don't think 
many people would have got that into it unless they were releasing these really good service packs that kind of fixed everything yeah. initially. And that's probably because they learnt lessons from uh, Vista. Well, you remember with 98, it was second edition. You had to go and buy it again, didn't you? To yeah. Like, it was essentially a service pack. So uh, I know it's got its haters and its detractors, but, you know, rest in peace, Windows Vista. You need to pay a Vista sound then. <laughs> yeah. Slowing down. Just like the, uh, yeah. the shut-off sound. <laughs> a little reminder to myself, insert the Windows Vista close-down sound now. There you go. Wasn't it nice? <laughs> <laughs> a little update on a uh, project that we talked about last year, a point-and-click adventure game. Thimbleweed Park is literally just days away from release. Yeah, and this is a, a really cool kind of X-Files rip-off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd agree. <laughs> Straight and, away. Uh, they do it so each character can come from a different perspective. So you can either play a journalist in the city, you can play one of the detectives, you can play just a random person in there, you know, and... There's lots of different ways to play this game, but it's coming from the original point-and-click masters, who are David Fox and Ron Gilbert. The guy behind Monkey Island? Yeah, and David Fox, you know, from LucasArts Games. We've yeah. had him on the show. And if you look at this, it is a return to those classic point-and-click games. Even looking at the UI, it's like open, close, pick up, push, you know, the scum um, user interface, essentially, isn't it? And the graphics on it do look, you know, obviously a bit more upgraded than like the old Monkey Island games were and everything, but it's... Uh, they do have that kind of retro pixel look about them. Yeah, they look really kind of nostalgic to me. Like, I'm looking at them now and I'm getting that kind of, like, nostalgic feeling of, like, playing, you know, old PC games and PlayStation games back then. Kind of that broken sword kind of look to it. So I think it would be real a real nice experience. Well, I love, like, you know, Monkey Island and Loom as yeah. well. Yeah, that was one of my favourite games. Actually, yeah, you know, kind of adventure games did kind of call, fall out of vogue a bit after, like, yeah. the PlayStation kind of era. Yeah, definitely. But I think there was, like, a resurgence of them in the last kind of, like, five years, you know, with, like, uh, the Walking Dead game and uh, what's the other one, like, uh, Brother Two Tales, I think it's called, yeah, something like that. Beyond so, Two Souls. That's so, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, stuff like that. So Having this kind of UI as well, I think, for anyone that grew up with those games, like Monkey Island and... Maniac Mansion, those kind of things. Mm. People will love these, I think. So it's, uh... I, I, I think it's fantastic. You can play five different people yeah. as well. So, you know, you can do the adventure from five different angles. And we're actually in talks at the moment because we've had David Fox on about getting wrong. Ron on this show talk about Monkey Island oh, talk word. about Fimblewood Park so. I would have a massive fanboy moment we've got to get Ron on <laughs> yeah. I just want to play the Monkey Island theme song <laughs> so, <laughs> just excuse. an hour of that <laughs> like, no interview or anything <laughs> so if you do want to get hold of this game it comes out on March the 30th you haven't got long to wait on our Windows, Mac Xbox One Linux iOS, Android and other platforms will follow I'm thinking that might mean the PS4 I don't know it's not listed on the, on the machine yeah it's so not on there is it now, let's finish off on a story then, Ravi, that um, is pretty mind-blowing. Obviously, artificial intelligence is something we've talked about on the show before. You know, it's um, often pushing the boundaries of technology. This time, it's kind of going back a step or two, though. Well, artificial intelligence, they basically need to develop it through learning. So, I don't know if you guys know this, but if you upload all your photos on Google Photo, then it's training artificial intelligence to do photo rec recognition. Okay. So that's the kind of, instead of advertising, you're getting used in a, in a training exercise. So all, all those selfies we take in Rock City oh, on, on lights out at three in the morning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's it. Just alcohol splitting everywhere. <laughs> well, well, they had a big problem, which was basically they could teach AI to beat games. So, you know, tic-tac-toe and stuff yeah. like that. But they wouldn't actually be able to remember it. So they'd have a, a catastrophic failure of memory. Okay, so they do, well, they do it once and then next time they'll they'll play do it once, forget how to play the game, 
totally rubbish. Me with most games these days. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's it. But now they've developed a way, uh, a special algorithm to basically solve this catastrophic forgetting and uh, they can remember the game and retain it and play it. So to test the AI and develop it, they're using old Atari games. Wow. So this is Google's deep mind. This is the AI. Yeah, this is the AI, the, okay. the big one, Skynet. Sky- <laughs> I was about to say be Skynet. I told you those nuclear bombs are coming. Yeah. So they're giving it memory, essentially. So yeah. it remembers things. And it's just sitting there playing Frogger. You know, <laughs> Art Joust, stuff like Jim that. It. Before we know it, it's going to move into its mum's basement. It's going to put on loads of weight. Yeah. It's going to be addicted to games. <laughs> Leave me alone. Leave me alone. All I want to do is play Frogger. <laughs> Who'd have thought this centipede would lead to the end of the world? That's it. Two years' time, it's going to be hooked up to World of Warcraft. <laughs> yeah. But it does remind me of, you know, you mentioned like tic-tac-toe, that ending scene in War Games where it's playing noughts and crosses. Yeah, and totally. Then, then yeah. it realises that World War III is, you know, pointless. Let's it's insane it. no. that we using these old basic games to train massive digital minds. It's yeah. crazy. <laughs> maybe, maybe, Soldiers of the future. <laughs> maybe, we get, maybe we can get Deep Mind on the show one week. Yeah, yeah. I'll <laughs> oh, you work on that, Ravi. Yeah. Yeah. It'll probably take over yeah. the Deep Mind podcast. <laughs> Ravi just turns up with a little computer chip oh. at the side of his temple. <laughs> <laughs> Something like, off about you today, Ravi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right then, guys, thank you for checking out episode number 62 of the Retro Hour podcast. We'll be out again next Friday. Of course, if you do get a minute, please do vote for us in the British Podcast Awards. We'll pop that on our website, theretrohour.com forward slash vote right then should we talk arcades yeah totally do it let's get on this week's special guest andy palmer from arcade club and we'll catch you next friday ciao see ya You're listening to the Retro Hour podcast, and it is time for this week's very special guest, Andy Palmer from Arcade Club. Welcome to the show. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem at all. Now, uh, we're going to talk about your uh, amazing venture, Arcade Club, in just a bit. But I thought it would be really interesting to kind of go back into your history a little bit. Um, what was your like earliest gaming memory then? Earliest gaming memory was probably, uh, I think it was a Benetton Superstar or something that my father brought home once in the uh, 70s, probably mid to late 70s. Had a game on it called Brands Hatch, and they're not the normal sort of pong games you'd expect with those early systems. This actually had cartridges, had interchangeable cartridges. There were about four different cartridges for it. I think it's one of the earliest examples of like the Benetton type era of uh, machines that actually took uh, cartridges and you could change the games. Wow. So it was quite advanced for its time. <laughs> and what was it about that machine that really like captivated you then? What did, what did you like about it? It was uh, basically playing the games with my father and my brother, uh, which was excellent at the time. And uh, it was the first gaming machine we'd actually seen. I think I don't think we saw anything in the arcades because it was a bit a little bit before Space Invaders, maybe. Right. Or Space Invaders just hit, and we hadn't seen many of them around. So it was very, very early indeed. Uh, and it was, it was very, very good at the time. I actually had analog sticks, which was, you know, as you know, are quite precise. So you could, when you're controlling the bat, it was, it was very, very precise and very, very cool. Yeah, it sounds like that was probably... Uh, more advanced than the Atari 2600. <laughs> I'm not sure graphically it was or sound-wise, but certainly controller-wise it was. <laughs> so after that then, I mean, when did you start going to arcades then? Arcades were generally uh, the one, there was a couple down Berry, uh, one was called Cosmos Cafe, and there was one, there's Berry Bass and a few arcades in, and when we went to Blackpool or Southport with my grandparents, obviously went to the arcades then, Mr B's in Blackpool, and I can't recall any of the names of the ones in Southport. There was Jenny's, I think it was, in Piccadilly up in Manchester as well. That was a massive arcade that had all the latest stuff like Outrun. Uh, Killer Instinct was in there when it first came out. Galaxy Force 2, the full moving cockpit. You know, so there's quite a few arcades that we actually went to as children. And uh, what would your kind of favourite first old school arcade games be? 
Uh, I think the one that really impressed the socks of us, so to speak, was Salamander. Uh, when, it, when we first saw that, that was excellent. That was an arcade in Windermere. There was like a little pier in Windermere, the lake, and there was an arcade built onto the side of it. Had stuff like uh, Salamander, as I said, uh, Super Hang-On, uh, and the normal sort of things you'd expect, like Trojan, uh, you know, that, that sort of era of games. You know, but Salamander was really like, wow, because it was speaking you know, picking up for multiple and all that sort of thing. That was awesome at the time. What kind of like, what was so special to you about those early days of the arcade days? It was always uh, trying to get something on my spectrum at the time, computer that approached the arcades. The arcades were always one step ahead. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we got these graphics and sound. So you went to the arcades, see what the latest games were, and see where graphical technology actually was, where gaming was concerned. Uh, so the, the spectrum was what we had at home. So conversions weren't great, but some of them were quite good. I mean, Bombjack was quite a good conversion. It played very, very well. Uh, others weren't quite as good, like Paperboy, etc. But for some reason, you, you put up with it as a kid because that's all you had. Yeah. Uh, on the home machines and stuff that we have with conversions and stuff. I think that was kind of the gold about then, wasn't it? You get a machine at home, you know, you, you try and get these arcade ports, but like you said, a lot of them left quite a lot to be desired. I remember Paperboy on the Spectrum, and you'd look at the screenshots on the back of the tape, and it looked, <laughs> it looked nothing like the arcade when you loaded it up, did it? Yeah, no, no not at all. It's a monochrome, and like, it's just blue and black, and there's a little bit of a window that was kind of cut out into there's a bit of a border and stuff. And yeah, it, 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 was, it was far too much of the spectrum. I did a diagonal scroll with that many sprites and stuff. It was something that wasn't possible, unfortunately. But they tried. You know, you've got to give them that. Yeah, they tried, yeah. They got the license. They got, they got the money, etc. The 64 version was a little bit better, but the bike just looked wrong on the 64. It was kind of like a, a sprite that they doubled the size of, and it was just awkward looking, aren't they? Oh, I had it on the Commodore 16. I think that's generally considered the worst version of it. Uh... <laughs> I don't know, the BBC version is particularly bad. <laughs> yeah, there was a... <laughs> Don't have a look at the BBC version. <laughs> I'll check that out on YouTube. <laughs> so was the Specky the first system that you got at home then? Do you remember when you first got it? Uh, yeah, it was a 16K model. I believe it was about 129.99 at Dixon's at the time. Uh, and it, it was excellent. We got a game called Arcadia. Um by Imagine Software, that was great. It was, uh, it was very much like Astro Blast of the arcade, where the enemies come off the side of the screen. You, you're a ship at the bottom shooting upwards. Obviously, didn't have the fantastic speech of Astro Blaster, but the playability it was there. Myself and my brother remember saying, like, you know, it's just like an arcade machine. You know, obviously it wasn't, but to us, it appeared that way. Spectrum had very, very bright, vivid colours compared to the Commodore, for instance. So it lent itself to conversions like. Uh, Mooncrest, uh, Galaxians, anything that was very brightly coloured, like with having strong primary colours, looked great on a specky. Well, there was a lot of arcade machines in actual arcades, but there was also a lot just spotted around in random places, like swimming yeah. pools and stuff. Um, did you find any kind of unusual ones that stuck yeah. in your memory? Uh, Berry Bass had Shoplifter, I remember. Uh, a guy could get into the uh, the caves of it, etc., and get really, really far in it, but it's quite a hard game, especially when you first tried Shoplifter. Uh, an incredibly hard game. Uh, and there was many in the, obviously, the local chip shops, et cetera, stuff like Mr. Doing, uh, in the small cabaret cabs, you know, the, the wood finish ones, look very, very 70s, early 80s. They were dotted around. Bowie was very, very good for arcades. And about four inner city arcades in Bowie. You had the larger ones in Manchester, and that's what I've tried to replicate with Arcade Club, an inner city arcade, you know, rather than a seaside venue. As a kid, I always remember, you'd have that couple of pounds, those couple of 20p's, and you'd put them into the machine, and you'd get so far, and then you'd go off and you'd come back, and you think to yourself, I wish I spent all my money that day on that one machine. Is there any kind of arcade machine that kind of comes to your mind where you remember just kind of spending all your money or the most money you ever put into one single machine? Yeah, Ridge Racer, uh, when that first came out, that really was uh, the pinnacle of 3D technology in the arcades at the time. That was absolutely awesome. I remember seeing the screenshots probably in CVG or a magazine like that, or Games Machine. 
uh, and it was absolutely phenomenal. So when I went to Blackpool, I actually allocated £10 a day just for that machine. Wow. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> I remember seeing Ridge Racer when it first came out. I think my local um, like Hollywood Bowl had one in, and it was actually yeah. another proper sit-down red like car cabinet that you'd sit in. It was just blew my mind when I first had a go on that. We actually have one of those at Arcade Club. Now, not the massive car you sit in, but the deluxe version you yeah. sit in with the 34-inch screen. And I can't believe we've actually, I've actually got one of those machines because at the time, they must have cost £10,000 plus because I think it's one of the first ones that were a pound ago yeah. because everyone was like, how much you got a pound? Yeah. Uh, and we've actually we've actually got one. And uh, amazingly, a good, a good friend of mine swapped it with us for a couple of machines. So it was, it, not say it was a freebie, but it was incredibly cheap because you know, the guy didn't want to lug it around all these events and stuff with such a large machine. Uh, and it's, it's amazing to think I actually got one of those machines. Amazing. It's when you go in the tunnel, isn't it, that sound? Ooh. Yeah, it gets switches the sound. It's like a little tunnel like a vibrating echo. It's, it's everything about the game, just absolutely awesome. It was when Namco were at their peak. I remember, you know, you mentioned then that it was a quid to go to uh, have a go on Ridge Racer, and you're right, because, I mean, before that, games were like 10, 20p, and I, I think I remember my dad doing a double take on us for a pound for that machine. But that was kind of a, um, you know, a milestone, you could say, in arcades. Is there any kind of, like, you know, milestones that you remember in your history or, or any big games that you remember seeing for the first time? Arcades, uh, Galaxy Force 2 was quite impressive. That was a big uh, lumbering cabinet that moved around and stuff. That's quite... The R360, which was in Blackpool, I remember having to go with that. And uh, not feeling very well for approximately a week afterwards because I'm not built to go upside down. And I want to. <laughs> that's probably that, that, why. That, that's we'll have, thing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> have you not got one then? No, we, we looked into getting one uh, about a year ago. One came up, uh, but it needs three phase power. And it also needs to be uh, x-rayed uh, on its welds uh, periodically to make sure there's no micro fractures that could potentially make it very dangerous for people to use. So it's uh, it's not something we'd probably have at Arcade Club because it wouldn't need an attendant with it at all times, obviously because there's a danger issue. We'd lose floor space for approximately 12 machines with it being roped off and the area it takes, off, takes up as well. And unfortunately, the game that it comes with, generally G-Lock, is not a very good game. Mm. It's such a shame. If it would have gone with Afterburner even, it would have been a much better experience. But once you actually play the game, it isn't great. It's an experience of being put upside down and you know, fighting to get level again before you press the chicken switch on the side. <laughs> But it's, it, it's, it's more of a museum piece, I feel. I'd forgotten about that, though, because I remember seeing it in Scarborough, and you're right, there was always an attendant with it, because it was, it was more like a ride than an arcade machine, really. Indeed, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, I saw one at Sega World, and I was like, God, I'm not going to go on that. <laughs> it made me completely sick. Yeah, but um, you kind of had uh, FMV stuff coming through as well. Did you notice any of that, like Mad Dog McCree or, you know... Uh, <laughs> Dragon's Lair, more Dragon's, Dragon's Lair. Lair, Lair yeah. degree, I remember it on the CDI and those formats uh, when it came out. I think 3DO might have had it as well. It's not something I saw in the arcade uh, very much. Dragon's Lair is really a full motion one. I think I saw uh, Firefox once at a service station when we was going maybe to Birmingham to my uncle's. Uh, but not something I really bumped into much. Or not something that was that particularly interesting. It's more of a, you'd watch it for a bit rather than actually play it. And you go like, well, yeah, I can see, you know, it's, it's not my sort of thing. I was more of a shooter head into sprite-based games and stuff. It was interesting that you mentioned the um, the R360 as well, because Sega were quite in innovative. We were talking on our show actually not long ago about, do you remember this game that Sega did that was like a hologram? And that was like a kind of a cowboy shooter? I got offered one of those uh, as well, uh, literally about two months ago in America. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, it was Laserdisc-based, obviously, and it was the cowboy version. Uh, I don't think it was a time travel, it was the other one. There's a couple of different versions. Yeah. But unfortunately, the technology has aged terribly. Uh, it's the size of a washing machine, so it's absolutely massive. And it's the sort of game that unfortunately belongs in a museum, not in a, an arcade where people come and play all the time. Some people may think this is a bit controversial, but even games like Pong, people will play once nowadays 
experience it and never play it again. Unfortunately, though, the time has left, the, left those games in the past. You know I mean, uh, there's a couple of exceptions to the rule, a game called Warlords, which is a four-player game based on Mr. Pong, but you're defending uh, your castles. Incredibly popular game, massively popular arcade club. Everyone loves it to bits. But certain games have just had their time. Uh, the time traveler type, you know, holographic, uh, Holoseum, I think it was called. Uh, unfortunately, it has had its time as well from a gameplay point of view. It's just one of those, it belongs in a museum with the R360. With that being said, you mentioned, you know, games kind of having its time and stuff. When mm. did you really notice the decline of arcades? When did you really feel like, you know, what arcades are really getting surpassed by, you know, home consoles now? Probably the PlayStation 1, because uh, you had games like uh, Raiden come out on it, etc. I think there's Raiden Project that came out quite early, and, and that was pretty much arcade perfect. Proteus and the Ultimate Proteus series that came out on the PlayStation Pretty much, pretty much arcade perfect. Slightly better sound in a lot of games as well because it's dragging it from a CD rather than using it uh, using its own sound chip in a lot of cases. So that I don't think that killed arcades, but people certainly would. And obviously, the copy scene as well on the PlayStation when chips came out and the disc swapping out. Everybody did when PlayStation well. People stopped going on the arcades, which went on the mates to play on their machines. Yeah, because I remember. I think the last big you know arcade release I remember getting really excited about, and everybody like you know making. Like a beeline for the arcades was when uh, you know Mortal Kombat came out, the first one. Yeah, Mortal Kombat was a bit of a big game because it was a first digitized graphics. The same with Pit Fighter, but those haven't aged very well at all. They look a lot better in your mind than they, than they yeah. do now in reality. I, I completely <laughs> agree with that. that <laughs> a crazy Taxi for me, actually. It was Chris quite Saxi, late on. Game. Yeah, I was going to say that I can think of a, a handful after Mortal mm-hmm. Kombat. You know, like House of the Dead was a real draw for me. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, very, very good. Dreamcast, an amazing machine. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, Sega's lost the last piece of hardware, which is such yeah. a shame because we're an amazing, amazing company. So, when did your like local arcades around your area start to close down? Uh, when they stopped uh, trying to keep up uh, with uh, modern arcade technology, because arcades got bigger and more expensive. After stuff like Sega Rally Daytona came out, it was a really a three D race in between all the arcade companies. And the, the machines were priced out of the market for the local chip shops and smaller arcades. So they just basically lost the arcades. They started breaking and eventually just closed down. That's, that's what it just killed the arcades because everything got big money and very, 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 very commercial. Well, uh, going back a bit, when I go to arcades with my dad, he'll run in the corner and get on the pinball machines. And, you know, I won't be able to get him there, uh, get him off there for hours. So, um, have you got a big selection of pinball machines? Yeah, I think we've got about 15 at the moment, um, pinball machines. We've got a total of 20, but it's about 15 on the floor. Uh, incredibly popular. Uh, they get a lot more play uh, than they deserve, to be because they're one of our highest maintenance items at the pinball machines. They get uh, Adam Summer, for instance, gets over 300 plays per weekend, mm-hmm. which will be a couple of 100 plays if it was out in the wild, you know, a pound ago. Because they're on a three-play model, they get absolutely hammered, unfortunately. Uh, so they're very, very high maintenance. So you get... Uh, two months worth of errors that you'd normally find in the wild, you know, we get a call out every set like week or so, every couple of weeks, happening within one day. Yeah, we, and we go times that by fifteen. That's a lot of maintenance and a lot of ball jams and all the other things that come with pinball. Yeah, we go to uh, revival events and stuff, and the pinball machines are just full all the time. The arcades mm. will actually be a bit less, but there'll be queues for each pinball machine. Yeah, indeed, yeah. It's incredibly popular. What's popular about the three-play model with pinballs is that you don't have to put your pound in. A lot of people have played pinball years ago in pubs. They put a pound in Adam's family, two balls have gone down the middle, and one's lasted 30 seconds or so. And they're just like, I don't like pinball, and they'll walk away from it. But with free-play, it, it doesn't matter. You can you get a good at it. You can actually get onto the table and learn the table a little bit. 
So that's what's the great thing about uh, free play. But years ago, people just, unless you were really into pinball and you were a good player, you'd have a couple of goes and just dismiss it and probably go back to video games. That's that's definitely my feeling on it. Uh, I actually had a go on a ping, uh, pinball machine about a week ago in Portugal. And uh, I put one euro in, and you know, died straight away. And I was just like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not for pinball. I never have been." <laughs> <laughs> do, do give it a try. If you come to our cable, do give it a try because yeah. the free play model does help. Yeah, you, definitely. You get into pinball and appreciate it a little bit more because you, you're not putting pound after pound after pound after pound. Yeah. You know, I could have bought this machine by now, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then before I know, it, I'll probably actually be addicted because I'll be trying to beat the high score. <laughs> Let's get to arcade club then. So, why did you decide to start it, and when? Right, well, we had a, a collection of pinball machines and a few arcade machines uh, dotted around the house, and we were dusting them more than actually using them uh, because uh, that's just the nature of a collection. What what you passionately collect, eventually, you, 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 everyone, you become a hoarder, basically. You just, you just collect for collecting sake sometimes, and that's just human nature, you know, whether it's uh, thimbles or <laughs> whether it's arcade machines or whatever. You know, everyone collects something generally. So uh, we wanted to uh, see whether we could get the machines used by the public but also be able to maintain them uh so we put 30 in uh, one of our shops we had a, uh, some computer shops uh, at the time and one of the larger shops and we had i think it was 10 pinball machines and 20 video games they're all top stuff like uh defender robotron star wars vector asteroids a few candy cabs and some cave shooters you know a really nice selection and we charged uh, 10 pounds for four hours and in that you got a free cup of tea or a can of coke and uh, a cake or something so people locals love that no problems at all then we, uh, Collectaholics got involved a bit as we were moving to the warehouse. We thought, this seems to work. Let's, let's, do, let's put 100 machines in the warehouse and get that, that all sorted out. So then BBC got involved with Collectaholics and kind of like catapulted us to the stratosphere. Uh, and then that worked as well. We started to, to become uh, very, very busy. And then we just uh, decided to, you know, solve this. Let's actually do it properly. Let's go find somewhere. So we came to Berry where I'm from, found this amazing mill, 15,000 square feet. And opened a massive arcade, which happened to be one of the largest in Europe, if not the largest in Europe. Did uh, you kind of think it would be risky at the time, and were you a bit like kind of scared it would yeah, just? Yeah, a lot of people told me it would be the biggest mistake I'd ever made. I was going to lose a lot of money, and it was it was it was just going to be ridiculous. Yeah, loads of people told me that. They said you're a fool. It's not going to work. It's been tried before. It's never worked before. But I believed in the business model, and I believed in people wanting to play video games if it was done the correct way. That's good stuff. And how long have you been open now? Uh, two and a half years. And how many systems do you have? We have uh, 250 uh, machines on the floor now. That's including both floors. Yep. We've just recently opened uh, a PC section, which has 12 i7-based 1080 PCs. Uh, we have five VR systems, uh, and we have uh, numerous consoles set up as well. We have a stage. Uh, we'll be doing tournaments soon. Uh, and we've got 10 Xbox Ones, 10 PlayStation 4s. The whole venue now is a massive gaming venue. Any kind of like particular favourites, you know, like after closing and you think, you know what, I'm just going to go have a jam on Ridge Racial or something like that? <laughs> after closing, I, I, I normally put my PC engine on after closing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, mostly I'd, I'd, I'd put Final Soldier or Gunhead or something like that on the PC engine or uh, was I playing another night, Spriggan 2. Yeah. Uh, PC engine is, uh, you know, uh, my favourite console of all time. I'm, uh, I've invested heavily in the Sharp X68000 as well, so that will be making an appearance uh, on the on the floor as well for people to enjoy. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, arcade-wise, probably R-Type, uh, Ridge Racer, obviously, uh, and Ghouls and Ghosts, uh, massive fan of Ghouls and Ghosts, uh, and Super Ghouls and Ghosts on the Super Nintendo as well, uh, from way back from when I had a Mega Drive, and it was a you know, great conversion that he seeded. 
And you, before you know it, it's three in the morning and you think, I should have gone home by now. <laughs> <laughs> we actually stay here sometimes till 2 a.m. We, we pretty much live here. We, we, we often joked it's pointless driving somewhere to sleep and then driving back six or seven hours later. But uh, that's the nature of the beast, unfortunately. It's quite interesting you mentioned the PC Engine as well. I mean, have you, have you got quite a fondness for the like more obscure systems then? Oh, God, yeah, I'm nuts about PC Engines. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I've got everything. I've got the GT, uh, the suitcase, uh, the proper CV2 as well, Duos, Duo-RXs, uh, you name it. Uh, I collect PC Engine uh, and the games uh, a lot. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's an amazing system. I'm into my shooters, uh, and PC Engine has got an amazing selection of original shooters. Uh, as I always say, I mean, this has got some great shooters as well. Mega Drive, uh, Thunder Force series. Uh, Sharp X60000 has some amazing stuff. A lot of stuff you will never have seen before in this country. Uh, they'll be showcased soon uh, with, a, you know, with an arcade club. You're in good company because Ravi collects for the uh, Amiga CD32. <laughs> it's got a good version of Turrican 2 on it. Yeah, yeah, but um, that's really rare. And the arcade games are rubbish for it. <laughs> but um, are you into kind of like light gun games as well because i know they had point blank and silent scope was a, a particular amazing arcade machine yeah we, we have silent scope and we have a uh, point blank one and two um yeah but i don't actually mind the light gun games like i say but i'm, I'm over i'm over shooter i'm into uh, fast shooters tunnel shooters as well like uh, uh txk uh n2o nitrous oxide uh and, and game and games like that i mean anything that's fast and twitchy really as well You've actually moved venues a couple of times to get into larger space, haven't you? Three times, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so when did you realise that you kind of outgrown your first one then? Uh, probably about a minute ago when I realised I've outgrown this one. But um, the first one was a shop, so that was 30 machines, so that was uh, very easy to outgrow. Uh, the second one was uh, the unit, which had about 100 machines in it. Uh, and when we uh, had problems with parking, uh, when you got about, say, 70, 80 people in there, it got a little bit cosy. Uh, the aisles were quite narrow, uh, and the, you know we realised that you know we we either shut this down and stop it now, or we just go for it and just do the two hundred machine thing at another venue. And we managed to find somewhere, luckily in Berry, which is great. So it's on the third floor, and we've got the second floor now. You know, maybe one day we'll have the first floor as well. <laughs> uh, and it, it just it just works. Sometimes you've just got to throw caution to the wind, just go with your dreams and what you think. Brilliant. So, how popular really is it then? Come down and have a look. Uh, pretty popular. Well, that's good then. <laughs> good answer. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, do you think uh, a lot of people come far to come and see the yes, venue? Yes, we've had people travel from Australia. Oh, uh, wow. We've had people flying from uh, Ireland. We have many people from Europe that come over. Uh, the Germans come over uh, frequently and the Hungarians, as such to count on the machines, we've got to see where we still are the biggest. Uh, but, you know, people generally come over uh, from from, all, from everywhere, actually, in America. People come over from America and say, you know, they, we, you know, we're better than certain large arcades in America because our machines are generally always working in good condition. I mean, don't get me wrong, we do lose about three or four a weekend through faults and we fix them the week and get them working for the next before. But generally, we have a high 98% uptime. So, I mean, I've, I've read a few interviews with you guys before and, like, you know, some papers and that have described it as kind of being a youth club for the over 40s. Or do, do you actually get, like, a younger audience into yeah, when we first set it up, uh, I really did think it would be uh, mostly 30 to 50 to 60-year-olds. Uh, but uh, what seems to happen is the dads come and scout the place out, and then next week they'll be in the kids and the wife. Uh, and it's uh, very family-orientated now, so much so that the second floor we've had to make is over-18s only, because we felt we were letting down our older audience by the amount of families that were upstairs on the top floor of the arcade. So we've opened the second floor now as over 18s only. And that's working well. Everyone likes the idea of that. The pinballs are moving to their own room. So uh, that'll be completely separate as well because the children, uh, not knowing pinball, etc., uh, 
will put four games on straight away, so you have to play through three dead games. You have to get one good game yourself, which is frustrating for pinball players. And uh, they, they do get a lot of use of the children, the pinball machines, etc. So, you know, we are addressing that issue uh, different ways from the age differences in the venue. How do you um, kind of capture that 80s, 90s magic? Do you, like, pump in fag smells and kind of <laughs> stuff like that? Uh, no, uh, it's quite simple, really. Uh, you just don't go over the top. I think uh, a lot of people, when they design an arcade nowadays, or what they think is a retro arcade, you know, don't start sticking Rubik's Cubes on the walls and CDs, etc. Um, don't make it so that it's lots of neon it's too colourful, because that's not what an inner-city arcade was like years ago. We've got a dark blue carpet on the floor, we've got a little bit of backlighting, etc., but m- mostly the lighting is provided by the machines as it was in the 80s. So when you walk in there, it feels right. We've got electrical and Goliaths and Xenons lining the way when you walk in, because those are the jammer cabinets that were available in UK arcades. People remember them. They might not remember them vividly, but their brain will trip when they see them and go like, yeah, this looks right. The American section in the arcade is in the centre of the arcade, hidden by the Goliaths, because you didn't see Tron, Gla- uh, you know, Galaxian, uh, Gyrus, etc., when you walked into an arcade in the 80s in the UK, because we were very much a bootleg <laughs> market in the UK. There were generally copies of arcade boards, uh, and that you didn't see original American machines. So the American section is away from everything else and hidden until you get around the corner because I didn't want people to walk into the arcade and go, this doesn't look right. I can't remember all these original dedicated cabinets in the UK arcades. It's not right. It looks like an American one off Tron. So there's all, you know, I, I overthink this stuff early on. <laughs> it's like Michael Valley's massive. So that, that's. That's the way I wanted the arcade to be, and it works really well. When people walk down the aisle with the Goliaths and Zenos on each side, it, their mind just goes, I'm back. We have people very, very emotionally saying, this is amazing. I can't believe people shaking by the hand on the way out. It's amazing. It really is an emotional experience for a lot of people. So you mentioned, uh, obviously, that you've got quite, a, you know, you've got the American section. Um, hmm. Where do you get most of your arcade systems from then? Right, we've collected them over the years, and like myself, myself and my girlfriend have uh, many in the house, etc. We've bought some over the last uh, sort of four or five years off collectors, uh, done some trades like you normally do, and we also import them as well. Do you find that costs a lot, or is it usually worthwhile? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the pound to dollar ratio at the moment is absolutely rubbish. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <Absolutely rubbish. laughs> and I bet they weigh quite a bit to ship as well. They do. Essentially, you're shipping a wardrobe. So, you know, you're full of a heavy tube and other gubbins as well, like transformers and stuff. So, yeah, they're, they're a reasonable weight as well. So, what are your most prized systems that you've got then? Oh, uh, prized. Uh, Warlords tabletop, uh, which we've got two of and potentially got a third coming in, is incredibly rare. Uh, but it's an amazing tournament machine. So, we will be doing a monthly tournament with Warlords, believe it or not. Uh, with some cash prizes for people. Uh, that's that's an incredible machine to own. The Atari Vectors, they're quite rare. We have a, a Star Wars cockpit with a 25-inch amplifier monitor, uh, which is very, very rare now, especially with Star Wars being so hot. Uh, you know, they've rocketed in price like you wouldn't believe. We've got sort of like Atari Video Pinball, a lot of early Atari games that are rare. We've almost got a complete set of Atari Vector games. We've missed about three. Uh, so we, we will be going for the uh, complete collection of Atari Vectors. The cave stuff's getting very rare now and expensive. We've got quite a few cave shooters, original PCBs. They tend to go in the candy caps. Uh, and a lot of, lot of console games have gone ridiculous, like Core Union is, is a daft price on PC Engine. We've got a lot of very, very rare titles within the arcade. It's very difficult just to pin a few down. 
And why do you think arcades are kind of coming back into the public consciousness? Like films like Ready Player One and, you know, there's this VR arcade thing that you can use and, you know, it's it's kind of getting a bit bigger again. It is. We've actually got some uh, cabs in Ready Player One. Uh, one of us uh, took some cabs off us about five or six, so they will actually be on film soon. Our joust is in there, for instance, and our joust tabletop. Oh, wow. Joust <laughs> is the main cool. main thing in Ready Player One as well, so Spielberg's probably played on your joust. Indeed, potentially, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, th- I think people are just bored, to be honest with you. I mean, a lot of the games now are just like, you know, programming by numbers almost. You know, There's no risk anymore. Where sacred tech of it, stuff like Jet Set Radio and all that, they, they, they bring out a game and they take a risk it will be original you know what i mean the uh, nowadays it's just the same formula all the time people are getting a bit bored with it so when you look back and they go yeah i remember that i remember and these games were fun years ago i think people are just looking retrospectively backwards and suddenly when they find what there's an arcade like you used to go into they'll go and see it but the beauty of the arcade this well, arcade club is you've got the original stuff but you've also got the latest cutting edge modern stuff we've got a vive system uh we've got oculus as well we've got three playstation vrs you know, and they're all free to play, you know, with the entry. It's not this, like, £5 uh, an hour and all that stuff or whatever and other people charge. It's all within the entry. Everything's free when you come in here. I think even if you go to, like, Game on the high street, they charge you a tenner to ever go on a PSVR. <laughs> Apparently so, yeah. <laughs> Apparently so, yeah. Other people do charge uh, for different uh, aspects. of But even the PCs we don't charge, even though they're top-spec i7, 1080-based PCs, We've bought all the games as well. We bought 12 copies of Battlefield 1, 12 copies of Overwatch, 12 copies of Doom. You know, you don't have to own these games or sign into your Steam account to play them. You can just actually sit down with no PC knowledge and try the latest games on the best hardware. So are there any systems that you really want to acquire then? Anything on your hit list that you really want? I've been looking at some of the PC-98 stuff, some of the... uh, the, uh, recently in Japan, uh, but I think I'm going to stick with Sharp X68000. Uh, that's probably just the obscure Japanese stuff interests me because it was uh, an era that we knew nothing about when we was on the Amiga for instance an ST or whatever 16-bit machine you're on you heard nothing from Japan nothing at all it was a closed society where the computer side there was no internet unless you knew somebody in Japan or you frequented Japan you knew nothing of the games interest. so there's a lot of stuff there that exists that we haven't seen yet and uh, what are your future plans for Arcade Club? Oh, well, domination. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, future plans are uh, to uh, carry on the second floor. Uh, it's more of like an indie floor, if you like. If arcade clubs just just like a, an arcade, as you'd expect, uh, floor two is like where we'll try different ideas and there's always something new to try on floor two. It's very, very different. You have different games from different eras on different systems. Anything goes really. A good game's a good game, whether it was made 100 years ago or it was made yesterday. Anything goes arcade, but we're not just a retro arcade. And do you, actually, do you actually take them out on the road as well and go to events and stuff? We used to. I used to, uh, we used to uh, supply play with their machines uh, many, many moons ago. Uh, James, a uh, colleague of mine, now uh, supplies them. We, we don't uh, anymore because we decided we, we'd sooner do like a venue with arcades rather than keep travelling. Mm-hmm. We do have a, a, a batch of machines that goes out. For instance, we'll be doing uh, the National Football Museum every half term. We'll set, we set up an arcade and have about 50 machines and it's £5 in for everybody to stay all day. Uh, in Manchester because we can't really open during the week at half term for arcade club because the facilities we're in the venue uh, is a business centre so the car parks are full yeah so we open at weekends and the car parks are empty or you know in e- evenings and weekends wherever but we can't do it during school holidays during the day so we've sorted that out by opening a semi-permanent arcade in the middle of Manchester that you'll see details that soon well Andy I think it's amazing that you you know you're running this successful arcade 
in 2017 and like re- recapturing that magic, you know, of those glory days when we used to go in the 80s and 90s. So keep up the good work. No problems. And we'll uh, definitely pop in after play as well. Yeah, next yes. time we're in Manchester That's area. I'm really, I really want to pop down, yeah, because I'm actually from Blackpool, so it'd really be nice to kind of like see it all again. You'll, you'll find you'll find many, many things that you've not seen for a long time. They're all proper CRTs as well. Everything's original at Arcade Club. Uh, the only thing we change generally is the power supplies because a lot of them are going well out of tolerance now. Yeah, uh, you'll get flashbacks, Joe. Yeah, I will, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, well, it smells correct because you've got all the ozone, all the static electricity, you've got the old wood smell, the paint and everything because everything's heating up and stuff. <laughs> so it smells correct as well, which is a few people have mentioned that. I didn't really think about it until somebody mentioned it. I'm like, yeah, you're right, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, I'll just be in ecstasy, just like... <laughs> like oh. You've got to mix it with the body odour as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> yeah. We actually have deodorant in the toilets uh, to combat that, should that happen. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be all right <laughs> then, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Andy, if people want to uh, come down and check it out, have you got a Facebook, Twitter, website they can check out? Yeah, just type Arcade Club into Google or find us. We've got Arcade Club into Facebook and anything like that. It's, uh, it's not difficult to find. Just look for the yellow logo uh, with Arcade Club. What you just all the day? You were in the tree, but such a busy leave, and now we hear you down the street. And you're in the 